You're listening to Campfire Conversations, brought to you by Three Rivers Land Trust. Connected to the land, committed to conservation. All right, welcome back to Campfire Conversations here from the podcast studio at Bad Country Beyond, Bad Country and Beyond in downtown Salisbury. We got some guests on today. Uh, internally, we have Steely and Matt. Y'all say hello. Hello. What's going on, everybody? Good to be back on here. All right, so today we are, um, real quick, actually, I had a reminder for myself and I just forgot it. Let me back up. Um, one of the things we talk about a lot in the office, I talk to other employees about it. It was a question that was asked of me uh, in the interview process is, why Three Rivers? Why conservation? What's your personal conservation story? And that's something I could talk about for an hour or more, but I bring it up because I want to mention it to you, our listeners. Please reach out. Um, I'd like to pose that question to you. Send me an email, will at trlt.org. Tell me your personal conservation story. Why Three Rivers for you? You know, what does it mean to you? Why is it important to be involved with an organization such as us? Um, moving on into today's episode. So we got some exciting stuff to talk about. Uh, we'll end with some event updates and all that fun stuff. But before we get started on that, we are going to talk about the SAP, our Sportsman's Access Program Spring Draw, as well as kind of coming down into the run-up to turkey season. It's an exciting time for a lot of sportsmen. Um, and we are no different here in the TRLT office. So uh, diving right into it with the Sportsman's Access Program. Um, I am someone who, for me, public access is a large part of my sporting journey, if you will. We do have some land in my family. I'm lucky in that aspect that I've had private ground that I have access to where I could kind of cut my teeth, but it is three hours away from where I live. So, um, you know, as I grew as a hunter, as a fisherman, and started looking for more opportunities close to home, public access was a natural place for me to look. Uh, so kind of for Steely and Matt, we'll start with Steely. I want to pose that question to you guys. What does public access mean to you? What has it meant to your journey as a sportsman or woman? And yeah, go. That is a great question. Uh, for me, you know, public access is maybe not necessarily the way I had my first hunting experience, uh, but it's definitely the way that I learned about the hard work that comes along with hunting and the, you know, how rewarding it can be to really put in the work because as anybody who hunts public land around here knows, you absolutely have to cover some miles. You're going to do some walking. You might have to cross a couple creeks that are, waist high Maybe um, some rivers too <laughs> yeah <laughs> really getting after it <laughs> yeah um you know that's part of hunting around here is is putting in the work and going hopefully where other hunters are not and that's you know never a five minute walk from the parking area no. it's gonna be a lot of sweat um a lot of a lot of miles so learning a lot of strategy too you know working to where you're not putting in those extra miles and just learning how to play off of other hunters movements is it's a whole different strategy than hunting private land. Yeah, for sure. Fishing on private land, either one. I always say that it's all, you know, you gotta, you gotta beat the crowd. You gotta get there early and you gotta be willing to go farther than no one else is. You gotta be willing to get back into the thick stuff. You gotta be willing to get back to the back of that property, to the back of that block where, you know, it's kind of a pain to go. Or coming up with new ideas on how to get to those property or areas that people may not be, may not be able to walk to very easily being able to use kayaks or boats or, just any kind of different or, you know, sometimes we would even get access from private landowners just yeah, to access definitely getting creative. properties. So, yeah, looking at the different creative aspects of hunting public land and just looking at, looking at it as a whole instead of just, you know, this is where the sign is. All right. But then you got the whole process of getting to where you need to be. So... Yeah, no, I, I always tell people, I think said. it's, uh, it's made me a better hunter for sure. I'm, I'm, 100 percent positive of that i've i've had been forced to get better because you know you don't have a choice you're competing for limited resources with other hunters so you have to figure out how to set yourself apart sometimes that's getting there early sometimes it's you know being just crazier and willing to go places and try things that other people aren't willing to try and you know at the end of all that there's technique there's just getting better learning how to be a better sportsman um so talking about the SAP, Steely, real quick, give us a membership update, kind of how's everything going? How did everything go with the fall draws? We're coming into the spring. We're in that kind of in-between. 
Yeah, so we are sitting right around 320 members in the program. So, you know, a lot of people kind of freak out when they hear that number, thinking, oh my gosh, I'm competing against 300 other members for turkey season. Uh, But keep in mind that not all of those hunters are, you know, using their lottery tickets for every lottery period. Some people are strictly, you know, bow hunters in September and October, kind of the early, early deer season. Some people are you know, only going to use your lottery tickets for opening week of turkey season. So you're not competing with all 300 plus members. How how many acres is that on as well? Uh, Well, there's 20 hunt blocks total um, across all of our properties. Mm -hmm. I should be able to give you the acreage right off the top top of my head. I think it's around like 7,000 acres. I think it's it's over 7,000 at this point. Yeah, so I mean 300 people on 7,000 acres, that ain't really that significant. So No, that's pretty spread out. And I was just sitting here doing some quick math thinking about, you know, basic probabilities so it sounds like you know to steely's point if you got 300 you think oh my gosh that's way too many i'll never get a draw i'll never get a block so we got 20 blocks and turkey season one runs what matt like four weeks four weeks four weeks during april so you get a block for a week when you get drawn if we that's 80 potential draws right there and that's just in turkey season which is one of our shortest seasons uh in the state of north carolina in terms of you know wild game game birds so i would say chances are pretty good and just in case people forgot, turkey season of 2023 in North Carolina, April 1st through the 7th is Youth Week, and then April 8th is the big opening day. And for you know any Sportsman Access Program members or potential members, the way the program works for us is the hunt weeks run Monday through Saturday. So you could apply for April third I guess it would be that Monday you could apply for that Monday through April 8th and say you have a kid that you want to you know take with you during the week you can scout hunt with you know your youth member and then you would also have a crack at opening day on April 8th mm-hmm. so that's you know just one one oh, way wow. that so you, you could, could kind of double big. down on yeah pretty mm-hmm. big yep especially a good opportunity to get some younger folks out in the woods and yeah. pass along that tradition and we usually do every year we usually have at least one youth member who goes out and gets a turkey that's that awesome. youth week it gives, it gives you a little bit better advantage of getting some scouting done too during that <laughs> week yeah for sure i can't tell you how many times um i was drug along on a quote-unquote youth hunt or a kid's <laughs> fishing trip it was really just a scouting opportunity for my dad or sure. uncles or you know just under the guise of hey we're taking the kid this will be gives you an excuse to get out there <laughs> yeah man get out and see it speaking of scouting and see it so steely how are we looking on sap properties so far this spring have we been seeing a bunch of turkey sign Personally, when I've been out there, I have seen a lot of sign, but also a lot of actual turkeys, which is uh, always, always fun. Um, It definitely helps that we've done several burns out on our properties already. Um, Matt and myself and Katie, of course, and uh, Emily, the whole TRLT burn crew, we've, we've done some burns and then also had a little help from the Forest Service. So, um, you know, everyone wants to know what blocks have been burned on our properties, so we have, you know, assuming weather cooperates and we have the time, just about every block at the point is slated to be burned. Um, so just keep that in mind. And then, you know, low water bridge is not always um, on our burn schedule, but this year we have already burned block two and block four. So that's okay. something to keep in mind too. Low water bridge is, in my opinion, a very underutilized block, under hunted block, um, does not get nearly some- as much pressure as, as the point does. Y'all heard some birds out there this year, too, back yeah, in February, we, didn't you? Yeah, we had a cleanup on Low Water Bridge Road. We had to meet out there at 7.30, that, no, 8 o'clock that morning, and there were birds gobbling along the river, so mm. they're out there. So I've got kind of two questions around it, because I don't turkey hunt much. Um, I've been one time, I was with a very experienced friend of mine. We did not get a shot, or really didn't see a gobbler, but... We had a Jake and two hens pass us at about five yards, and my heart was about to come out of my chest. So if I get another opportunity, I would love to go check it out because it seems like something that I could really get on board with. But uh, my two questions, number one, in terms of the burning, why I, I know why that works for other wildlife, and I imagine it's somewhat similar to turkeys, but um, what is it about those burns that really draws them in that makes them want to get in an area, Matt? Yeah, so one of the big things, it really opens up visibility, um, whereas some areas, you know, would be super thick before a prescribed burn. And then also just 
any food resources that may have been covered by leaf litter and stuff, you know, you're removing the duff layers and litter layers to make that food more available. Um, any bugs that were toasted, you know, during the burn, they'll go back in there and find those as well. Um, you know, we all used to joke about tur- turkeys just really love roasted acorns and roasted bugs. So that's why we would think <laughs> they'd come in there. But, um, you know, and a lot of times after a prescribed burn, especially during the growing season, like April, um, when you would do a burn that time of year, you know, a lot of your plants that were consumed by fire, they're going to re-sprout and then be putting on new blooms. So therefore attracting pollinators and other type of insects to those areas. And we okay. all know that turkeys love insects and they require them. So they're going to be in there on those areas. But, you know, I think one of the biggest things for me personally, um, observing turkeys and prescribed burn areas is just that visibility aspect because you know a lot of guys and women will think that you know you see turkeys out in big wide open fields a lot of the times and i think that's because turkeys get out there so that they can be seen while they're out there strutting um so i think it just gives them another place to be able to get in there and strut and do their thing during the breeding season but i never even thought about the saturday night fever angle like why get all done up and all dressed up and nobody's gonna see you you know don't I know some people. I know some people that when I used to work for uh, the state, the we talked to some public land hunters that actually went in the day after a burn, a prescribed burn, and actually harvested a turkey in an area that was still smoking from the day before when That's we burned amazing. it. Yeah, yeah, we've in previous years when we've burned on land trust properties, we've put up cameras. You know, a couple hours after the burn has wrapped up, and go back and check the camera the next day, and sure enough, you know, it's there's still daylight and you know the turkeys are making their way into right the back burn. in there yep that is really really cool so another question i kind of had about the sap program is how many hunters are allowed on each burn or each hunt block so like if you know me and will put in for a permit opportunity and would just me or him get drawn or would could more than one person be drawn or the three of us could all go hunt together three is the limit um so that's that's you know, if you put in as a hunt party, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, but if you say you hunt, you put in solo, you don't want to hunt with anybody else. and So you would just have that whole block to yourself? Yeah, absolutely. What's the average size of most of the hunt blocks? About 200 acres. Um, that's pretty pretty awesome. Yeah, we that's added... That's amazing, yeah. Yeah, that's really awesome. That's a lot of space to have to yourself. You know, especially turkey hunting, you know, you want to be able to have the opportunity to get up and chase a bird, mm-hmm. you know? There's been plenty um, of mornings leaving the York Hill Landing to go duck hunt down on the that delta right there, High Rock, that I wish I'd had a daggum 200-yard buffer between me yeah, and all there, or 200-acre buffer, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, you know, for reference, we added three new blocks to the Sportsman Access Program this year. So two of those are added to the point property. Um, so there's now a block eight and a block nine of the point property. Those are both under 200 acres. Uh, block eight's 165 acres, and then block nine is only 82 acres. But, you know, 82 acres for one person is still a lot of ground to cover. Yeah. Um, just just so. some little, you know, kind of like ideas of what the properties might look like. Block eight is mostly mixed hardwoods, you know, big overstory pine. There's a couple of fields that had some kudzu in them, but that property at block eight was burned this year. And all those fields that were covered in kudzu are now big open areas. So hoping to see some turkeys out in those very soon. And then on block nine actually has a... Those are flipped. It's fine. Oh, I'm sorry. I no. got those backwards. But um, so it's block nine is the Davis property or block eight is the Davis property? Block eight is the one that's north of block four. So that one's the one that already touches the, one the existing. The gas line on it. Mm-hmm. And the the field yeah the yeah field. so that block it's got a really big gas line on it um it's probably about 100 yards across um they just recently the gas line company just recently mowed that this year so it's nice wide open walking a lot of good places for birds to be out there strutting there's also um a really i don't know how big that field is um i'd say it's probably about 15 acre field mm-hmm. or so that's planted in winter wheat we have seen some birds in that field already this year yep. Um, there's plenty of hardwoods. There's a little bit more topography on that side of the road. Um, but both are really, really good places to have an opportunity at harvesting a turkey. Yep. And then the third block that was recently added is out in Moore County, which is good because there's, you know, with this new block, there's only four blocks total out there. And it's those blocks are getting more and more popular, getting members from 
the Southern Pines, Pinehurst area. We have members, you know, that are in the military. So you get some of the Fort Bragg traffic. Yep. And then also from the Triangle area, people from Raleigh are willing to drive. Yeah, that's a quick shot down so, US-1 from Raleigh to the Pinehurst, Southern Pines area. Yeah, so you, that new block is 172 acres. And um, it's um, in the uplands, it's got a lot of, you know, pines planted. But then you get down to the bottomlands and it's, you know, mixed hardwoods, some really pretty... Uh, wetlands down there so that's a pretty block as well are they pretty big open hardwoods down there in those bottoms yeah they are pretty pretty so open nice pretty place to kill a big river bottom turkey absolutely um, <laughs> but would you say that those properties down there in moore county and all do you feel like they get as much pressure as some as the point property they are about equivalent a little less than the point nothing none of our properties get as much pressure as the point mm-hmm. um but there are there are a lot of members who have been with the program for several years now and they you know they have whether it be you know on the harrington property or you know one one of the petty blocks they have their block that they're going to apply for every year Mm -hmm. and um i would say it's probably between the point and low water bridge in terms of popularity yeah it sounds like that's just something to keep in mind you know if you don't mind driving a little ways you know you could get out and apply for some of these other blocks that we have down in towards the eastern part of the state um, and so talking about, <clears throat> you know, coming into turkey season, time getting into our SAP properties, we're sitting here talking Steely Matt before we started recording. It sounds like, so we, our hunters were pretty successful last year. Yeah, we had birds harvested opening day all the way to the closing day of the season on SAP properties. Yeah, you know, a lot of people are going to be putting in their their lottery tickets for that, that first week or two of turkey season. And, you know, it, it's competitive. There's... Yep there's a lot of people that are all kind of competing for those first couple of weeks. But if you're willing to, if you're willing to use a lottery ticket or two for maybe the last week of the season, your, your odds are still, you still find a hidden of, gem in there. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I always say that to people. I like to dove hunt. That's one of my favorite things to do. I feel like nobody ever considers that there's a season beyond opening day. And I'm always, you know, I'm out killing birds in the middle of September, November into December and January and people you tell them you're going dove hunting that they're like no dove hunting that was a while ago I'm like no the season is still open and there's still birds here and you know you should get out and enjoy it sometimes late season turkey hunting is some of the best hunting because a lot of those birds you know once they done bred hens the hens will start sitting on nests and some of them birds they start getting real lonely towards that end of the season if they ain't done got a hen locked down for Look that for later part of the year that's right man so anytime during and sometimes you know it seems like weather can change how they work and i mean everything just i mean you got to be out there when they're out there man mm-hmm. yeah you got to go every, to know. you got to take every opportunity you can especially with such a short season there's only one way to ensure you will get skunked and that is to sit at home on the, on couch. the couch can't get them if you ain't there um speaking of so for our listeners who may not already be enrolled in the sa sap program or maybe weren't considering putting in for a turkey draw you've got you still have time to get into the spring draw it closes at eleven fifty nine p.m on wednesday march 15th so you got about another 48 hours here to get on the website get signed up get your picks in get your lottery draws in and you know throw your name in the hat see if you get lucky and head out to an sap property and harvest a beautiful tom turkey People better watch out. It's only four weeks away. It'll be here before you know it. Getting close. And thank you you for the opportunity on the segue there, Matt. That was seamless. It's Uh, like Christmas every year, man. That brings us into our next segment segment of the podcast, our turkey season preview. So um, something I was talking, I got it on our outline here, and I mentioned it to Matt and Steely, is kind of the anticipation. It's like he just touched on it. It's like every, it's like Christmas morning. You literally, you know, I know when, when waterfowl seasons are getting ready to open up or woodcock or dove season, I start to get into this kind of really happy anticipatory place where it's almost like that's better than the season itself in some aspects. Cause you, you can just think about how good everything's going to be. There's, you know, nothing bad has happened yet. It's nothing but possibility and opportunity out in front of you. Um, and, you know, for me, especially when it comes like getting into the fall, into those migratory bird seasons, when I walk out in the morning to go to work or take my kids to school or whatever it is I'm doing, and you kind of feel that chill in the air for the first time, you can see your breath. It's mm-hmm. maybe late September, early October. It's been hot and humid. Your garden's still producing tomatoes, but you walk out one morning and it's 45 degrees and you kind of go, oh, where's that been? Mm-hmm. That feels nice. And that's when kind of that 
light bulb comes on for me and it just starts those wheels turning. I, you know, go into my gear shakedown, start pulling everything out, thinking about what I want to hunt, where I want to hunt. So this one's for you, Matt, since you're the biggest turkey hunter in the crew, what is, what do you, what's like the environmental thing that happens when you're like, okay, turkey season's coming. It's here. It's happening. I'd say definitely when the weather starts to warm up just a little bit. I mean, I've hunted in some turkey seasons where, you know, you're still out there and your coveralls just like you'd be deer hunting or something like that. But I'd say definitely that weather's starting to change. You know, hopefully you can get that first couple of weeks for a green up. Because once everything turns green, it gets that much harder to hear birds talking. Um, Never but, even thought about that, knocking down sound. It's yeah, like, man, it, change, it changes yeah. the wood significantly. Like you can go from hearing birds 200 yards away to it sound like they're 200 yards away when they're only 75 yards once it gets green up. Wow. But um, I'd say some of the biggest anticipation for me is, you know, Deer season's over, um, you know, it's still super cold and everything. And then once it starts to get to warm up, you know, you get out hanging out around some campfire and stuff where it's not brutal cold, but mm-hmm. just getting to hang out with some buddies and you start talking about it, man, and start living old stories, living old hunts, you know, just talking about all the crazy things you did or some of the crazy things that happened to, you know, make hunts happen. Um, so that's that's really where all the excitement and anticipation, you know, just talking, you know, preparing – starting to meet and meeting new hunters too and like guys that especially for me this year i've met some people that you know especially a lot of y'all here at the office yeah that have never really turkey hunted a lot or you have turkey hunted just never had much success and getting to like share those stories with y'all and you know going back and looking through at old pictures and this year i've been moving into a new house hanging up some of my old mounts and everything and reliving those hunts and it just all it all comes together to just create a whole, I don't know, atmosphere that really gets me worked up, man. And then always when you hear the first bird gobble. Yeah, you hear one go off. Or you start seeing them out in the, like during this time of year, you'll start seeing them out in the fields more and know things are about to break loose. So you've already heard, been hearing gobbles? So I, I personally, I haven't had, heard any gobbles, but, you know, having y'all say, you know, you heard something, I was like, <laughs> all right, it's about to get warmed up here. <laughs> So now forgive me if this is a dumb question. Are they not gobbling all year long? Is that like a spring mating ritual kind of thing that you know, uh, you hear that, you know, it's about to go down. There have definitely been times when I've been, yeah. you know, duck hunting, for example, and say there's a big flock of turkeys roosted up in the tree somewhere and mm-hmm. you'll hear some gobbles as they're you know, I mean, making I, their way down from the roost. But. I've been rabbit hunting in December and January before and heard birds gobbling like at the rabbit dog, the beagles running before oh wow i'm like what are these things talking for i mean this ain't supposed to happen until like april yeah (laughs) and just so i mean they will gobble you know different times of the year um there's a lot of different studies out there that talk about gobbling chronology and things like that which is just a time sequence in which um birds are most vocal the gunsmithing program at montgomery community college is one of only a handful of schools in the united states focusing on this discipline The curriculum is designed to prepare students for existing jobs within the firearms industry, with training ranging from basic diagnostics and repair to true custom builds. Courses are available for every interest and level of commitment, from a three-day class to the full two-year degree program. Gunsmithing is considered one of MCC's Heritage Crafts programs. Other specialty programs include taxidermy, hunting and shooting sports management, forest management technology, and pottery. Visit montgomery.edu to see course descriptions and explore the exciting world of gunsmithing for yourself. Um, but yeah, so gobbling essentially is, a ma- like you said, a mating ritual. So the turkey's supposed to gobble, the hen's supposed to come to them. Whereas with turkey hunting, you know, we're trying to reverse that process. So the odds are already stacked against you. And turkeys have extremely well eyesight. Um, so any little thing, any movement, any shimmy shine on anything on you so that's kind of all that plays into turkey hunting so y'all can't see matt but he's in character right here sitting at the table he's got his turkey <laughs> I ain't completely vest on in character man i ain't completely in character <clears throat> we've got we also got a pretty impressive gear dump here out on the table so walk me through some of this i'm i'm see some calls i see i know what a thermocell is <laughs> And I see some three and a half inch shotgun shells. I shot those for a season one time when I was duck hunting and put them down and got away from them. <laughs> but as I understand it, you're not shooting all the time in turkey hunting like you no. are when you're wrapped up with the ducks. You ain't supposed to be shooting all the time. You're supposed to be hammering them down one time and that'd be it. But um, so something I like to do every year before each turkey season. Um, sometimes I'll wait till the exact last minute, and usually those lead to things going wrong. So 
taking time to go through your gear before you get out in the woods when you when you need it at that time. But the first thing is you, get, you need to have some good way to carry all your equipment with you. Um, I recommend a well-made turkey vest of some kind. You know, they got all kind of different brands out there now. I recommend with a good seat, a good seat cushion, one that you can stow away very easily because sometimes you may be sitting there for 45 minutes to an hour leaned up against a tree. Um, something I've started using more so. I didn't bring it with me today, but they're called gobbler loungers or gobbler chairs. But it's basically just a low, a low to the ground chair that has a back on it, so you don't have to lean up against the tree. It's just something really comfortable when you're going to be doing long sits, okay, and things like that. You can usually get them on sale after you know during right before season. They're about thirty, forty bucks if you get a good one. Um, but after season, sometimes at Walmart and all, you can catch some of the cheaper ones. Like I think I got mine from Walmart for like twelve bucks after season nice. one year. So you don't have to spend a bunch <clears throat> of money on it. Um, but it's something definitely worth having. I started use, I started using like the gobbler loungers a lot more when I started hunting in the evenings. Yeah. Um, just because evening hunting, birds aren't as vocal as they are in the mornings. And your best bet is just to sit in an area where you know their turkeys are or where you think they might be going to roost or something and just hem up there and see if you can make something happen. So you, I always call it deer hunting them in the afternoons. Right. So where you're just kind of waiting them out. But, um, that's one thing I really enjoy using that I use more so now. A lot of times in the mornings when I go out into the woods, I'll set up where I think I'm going to hear a bird gobble, and hopefully I can work him to that spot. But if not, you know, if I have to get up and run and gun on a turkey, um, basically that just means get up and go chase them. So if I hear a bird, you know, three or 400 yards away, I'll just leave my chair there and go chase them and pick it up later once I got the bird in the bag. There you go. But, um. <laughs> Anyway, so good turkey vest. Mine personally, it's a old Tom turkey vest by Drake. Um, I really like it. I really like a lightweight turkey vest because, like I said, I do a lot of running and gunning. Um, some guys like the heavier vests that have some of the nicer chairs um, aspects associated with them. I know Alps makes a really good vest, that, but it's a lot heavier. Um, next thing, you know, Always pattern your shotgun if you're not sure what it's done, or if you're changing your shotgun shells up, or if you're changing chokes, or if you're starting to use some red dot sights or scopes or anything like that. Um, I personally, I don't use a scope or red dot sight or anything just because I know too many people that's had those things on their shotguns and they get bumped off and they wind up missing turkeys because of it. Or sometimes even the glass on some of those things can have that shine sheen like we were talking about, like a sun glare Uh that can spook turkeys. Um, So I just stick to the old regular bead. I know a lot of guys um, like those true glow bright sights. I know a lot of people use those duck hunting sometimes too. Yeah. Um, But just have a really, just have a good shotgun that you can depend on and know that it patterns well. Paired up with some good turkey loads. like you said, I personally, I shoot three and a half inch shells just because I used to shoot a 20 gauge shotgun that I only shot three inch shells out of. And I misjudged the distance one time and lost the turkey because of it. Mm-hmm. So I went to shooting 12 gauge, three and a half inch. Um, I personally have been using Longbeard XRs. Um, they're still that, they're that, uh, an upper end shell, but they're not high end like tss is now yeah and if you want to know more about tss you know if you don't already know about it go check into it um but Longbeard xrs have done really well out of my 870 super mag i shoot number fives um i've killed turkeys out to 70 yards with them before which wow. is kind of a poke for a shotgun shooting a turkey kind of but, kinda. but <laughs> i mean man there's people ethically killing turkeys you know 80 yards with that tss stuff so that's wild but um so making sure you have that relationship worked out between your shotgun and your shells. Um, I still hunt with a 20 gauge every once in a while for, you know, sport, but guys now are even using four tens, you know, using the Stevens four tens with threaded Turkey chokes and got the red dot sights on them and everything, man. That's wild. Yeah. It's, it's the pretty advancements cool. in shot technology are pretty wild to it's nuts. Yeah. Cause I mean, growing up when I was a kid, <clears throat> yeah, like I said, I, I get my start water or got my start waterfowl hunting. It was 12 gauge or nothing. Leave it. You know, yeah. just there's, there was no such thing as, well, I need a youth gun for my kid. Now, well, when he can hold a 12 gauge, he's ready to go duck yeah. hunting. And nowadays, I mean, I hunted in Mississippi a couple of years ago. One of the guys I was with was shooting a 28 mm-hmm. and stoning them at 50 yards. I mean, just oh, yeah. like nothing I've ever seen. Like you said, I mean, shot technology has changed so much. And, you know, it used to be like crazy to think 
Like it was just you can't kill a turkey with a four ten. It's not ethical. Yeah. But now you got guys killing turkeys at forty fifty yards with four ten shotguns. It's nuts. Now tell me this because I I feel like that's. <clears throat> One of the things, and I'm sure Steely could echo this because in the waterfowl community, we love to talk about sky blasters, you know, wait until you get them decoyed, get them feet down. In your opinion, can shot technology in the turkey woods overcome calling deficiencies or decoy setup deficiencies? Or do you think the turkey, the, the nature of the hunt is still that, you know, you got to have your skill set right and that'll just help you finish in a case where you got a bird that's not being cooperative so, but it won't cover up? Like I said, the reason I started using a three and a half and using the setup that I have is because of when I did misjudge yardage. Yeah. So having something to, you know, give you that extra hand, upper hand, you know, it just makes me that more comfortable. Right. Because, you know, you should do, just like with bow hunting, you know, whatever you're comfortable with, you know, that's what you should do. Right. So, but anything to make me more successful in the woods, because, you know, turkey season is only a month long you know if you don't if you don't have much time off you may get four hunts in yeah so anything you can do to up your chances of success you know by all means do it um as long as it's legal you know yeah i guess i i agree with that and also think if you're if you take a shot and you're you know close enough to just barely miss it or have a close miss you're also close enough to hit it so at the end of the day i'd you know that's coming from someone who's missed a turkey too. So, you know, I mean, I've, I've missed turkeys at 10 yards before, um, shooting yeah. through thick stuff. I mean, I've looked, seen my pattern on the side of a tree. <laughs> it looks beautiful on the tree, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, it's not an end all be all. Right. Yeah. No. But in another, you know, a negative aspect of some of these really tight pattern turkey guns, you know, guys shooting that TSS and stuff is when guys get turkeys in really close, if you know, they're not a good shot or they get too worked up and everything, they'll miss a turkey because their pattern's so tight they don't have the spread of their shot that they really need mm-hmm. yeah to so find it I, I like finding i i have found a happy medium with my setup and i've really come to enjoy hunting with it yeah and i think a big thing between hunting with the 410s and the 20 gauges and all is just having something light to carry around with you yeah because sure. turkey hunting you, you can do a lot of walking you're on if the you, move if you want to um or you can just like i said post up like you're deer hunting them um but that's just kind of my shotgun setup you know i recommend a really really good pair of boots if you want to do some running gun turkey hunting you're going to put a lot of miles in especially on public land um chasing birds um you know and then you know i got all kind of different calls laid out here some that i've grown to love over the years and most of these i've had since i started turkey hunting you know once you find what you're comfortable with and get good at you know it's hard to veer away from it unless you just like all the new gear and gadgets and everything but i got some calls that are probably you know six seven years old i haven't been turkey hunting but since i was like 16 um but i'm really fond of diaphragm calls and pot calls um some people call those slate calls if if it's more familiar to you but just making sure that you're very confident and can mimic the sound of a turkey well with whatever call you decide to use um, we got some other calls from uh, backcountry and backcountry and beyond here that some that they sell from some local manufacturers. It's called uh, Dead End Game Calls. Um, I've used them in the past for and really like them as well. Um, but some of the ones I really prefer now are uh, for diaphragm calls anyway is Woodhaven Custom Calls. And um, there's another custom call maker out of uh, South Carolina. It's called Nanahala Custom Calls, and they make some really, really nice diaphragm calls. Um, they're a little harder to get because it is just a small business. But Woodhaven, you can find those in any major, you know, outdoor outlet. Um, they just, I feel like they put produce a really nice sound. Um, and then for pot calls, like I said, I got some old ones. I got an old HS Strut Slate Witch. I think I got this thing when I was like 12 years old. Killed several turkeys. These things are well-worn. Y'all can't see them here on the podcast, <laughs> yeah. but I'm looking at them on the table. They're well-worn. Brooks, so dings. before you give us a sample, walk, so I have a question. You mentioned earlier that you're trying to reverse the process. So yep. turkey wants to fly down, gobble, hen's supposed to come to him. That's when right. you say we're reversing the process as a turkey hunter, what do you mean by that? So reversing the process as a turkey hunter, you're trying to get that gobbler to come to you okay. instead of him going to her. So you're mimicking the hen and – you know, we're supposed to go to him. So, All right. 
and to some extent we will go to them you know we'll try to get in as close as we can i i personally i like to get within 100 150 yards of a bird before i start calling or anything just to close that distance as much as you can because the further you have to bring that turkey the harder it's going to be to get him to come more likely it is he'll change his mind that's it man between there and here give you a little bit of a compromise yeah but um those are some of the things and you know some of the other things that i have in my vest you know i keep some locator calls on my vest as well crow call and a barred owl call um, I've started just doing my own vocalizations with my mouth, and I've gotten pretty good with those. So when you say locator call for the uninitiated, walk me through what you're talking about there. So a locator call is something that you will use to get a turkey to what's called shock gobble. Okay. So sometimes turkeys will just hear things in the woods or wherever they're at that just makes them like, because turkeys have a lot of pent up. They just wound up, you know. Yeah. But, um. They're super excited, so just anything loud and unexpected. Know, just, yeah, unexpected to just make them just you shock it, them into yeah, revealing I mean, their location. It's yeah, just, got it. Okay. Yeah. So like crow calls are something that's really common in the woods during the middle of the day that will get turkeys to go- shot gobble like that. Um I usually that's when I usually use a crow call is in the middle of the day. Um, around lunchtime, one o'clock, things like that. And then hoot owl calls, if they're not gobbling in the mornings, you know, I'll hit those to try to locate a bird. Um, but usually what I do is I'll just go out in the mornings and just listen because most of the times turkeys will gobble off the roost to let hens know where they're at. Yeah. Um, but if they're not gobbling, you know, I'll do a hoot owl call or um, some other things turkeys will shot gobble at that I know some people have used is like goose calls. Um, I know some people will use coyote calls, have got turkeys to shot gobble. I mean, I've heard turkeys shot gobble at cows <laughs> bellering and huh. mules bellering. Um, I remember one one morning when I first started turkey hunting, guy got out of the truck, slammed the door too hard, and I heard about five gobblers light up. Wow. I mean, was, and I've heard turkeys gobble at, you know, a shotgun going off um, in the distance. So, I mean, it's just anything can make a turkey gobble. Okay. But... So I always keep some of those with me just in case my mouth ain't doing it right. Um, another thing that's invaluable in the turkey woods, especially later in the season, is a thermosel. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, especially getting hunting in some of those river bottoms and all. You know, yeah. it can get it can get pretty thick, especially here in North Carolina. Um, so I always keep a thermosel, some extra wafers for it, and some extra butane for it. Another thing I always like to keep with me is my. Uh, I always keep a pocket knife in my vest in case I forget my pocket knife so I can cut tags out. I always keep pins with me so I can fill out my tags the way I'm supposed to. Um, so that way we're always legal. Um, another thing I keep with me is some different types of surf, uh, abrasive surfaces, so things like sandpaper, some wire mesh, um, or like a Scotch-Brite pad for my pot calls to rough up the surfaces on those so that we can get a sound out of them and i always keep several different strikers to you know get some different sounds if they're not liking one thing or the other um also i carry plenty of water with me i know that i pulled several bottles of water out of my vest from (laughs) last year um it's always fun going through your you know vest backpack whatever and seeing what you pull out yeah. Same for, you know, duck hunting. Any, the amount of any times kind of I've season. found something that I've been looking for for six months. Yep. Yeah, for like, sure. Oh, my God, there it is. Pulling out spent shotgun shells yeah. from successful or maybe unsuccessful uh-huh. hunts. <laughs> um, but and sometimes I'll carry a decoy with me. I usually carry just one decoy with me. I know a lot of guys and girls, they, um, they'll carry a whole decoy spread, strutters, half strutters, you know, several hen decoys, but... Like I said, I like to run and gun hunt, so I like to be as light as possible. So I'll throw one bird or one decoy in my game bag on my vest and just go after it. Yeah, stay fast Um, and light. Yeah, man. So tell me uh, this. Something I've heard, um, I've heard stories of this. Like I said, I have not turkey hunted much. I do love to uh, fly fish for trout and the idea of a refusal. So this really fascinates me because I think that's one of the things that keeps me coming back on trout fishing is – you it happens in clear water it's up close and personal which i understand can be uh the case with turkey hunting a lot of times you're just it's it's a chess match you're right there you're you're pulling strings and pushing buttons trying to get the animal to do what you want it to do um but you know it to see a fish come up 
observe your offering, your lure presentation, and decide that it is not for him or her and to go the other way. That is... It's heartbreaking, but it keeps me coming back. Like it, it lights a little bit of a fire. It's like, dang, you know, like, what why, happened? You, you just you start to think like, why didn't this work? Yeah, like, what did I, what did I do wrong? Did like I, it was the perfect I, setup. I had I, everything right, like I wanted it. You know? Did I call too much? Did I make the wrong sound? Did I squeak? Did I squawk? You know, or has it been, you know, has it seen too much pressure already? Is it yeah. really not even anything you're doing? I mean, it can it's be, it can be that. anything. Yeah, I mean, it could literally just be, you know, especially with turkeys. You know, you could have you could hear a bird close the distance a hundred yards, and be like, and he just stop. Yeah. We call that getting hung up. Okay, I've heard. I was going to say, is so that getting I've hung heard up? So people say like he hung up at eighty yards and just wouldn't move. So that's yeah, what they okay. So, and a lot of times that can be just because they get to where they can see where you're at, and they don't see that hen making that sound, and they're just like, well, ain't no use of me going over here. I don't see her. Huh. Or you know, turkeys can hang up. Turkeys are bad about getting hung up, or just will put the brakes on. By having to cross a creek, crossing a road, they can get hung up in slash piles or down logs. Like I've, you know, after I've had turkeys hang up before, I've went into where they were at after they've moved on, and you can see where that turkey just strutted back and forth right there in that one spot. They'll get hung up on fences. You know, there's just all kind of things hmm. that turkeys can get hung up on. And it may not be nothing to do with you. Like I said, it can just be topography or some kind of structure that hangs you up but there's just so many different scenarios i mean i mean and one thing that i had a turkey get hung up on was you know i had some jakes come in one time and whoop whoop the bird i was trying to harvest you know i had a i'd been patterning this turkey for several mornings before the opening day i knew where he was at i knew what he was doing i got in there early calling him he was coming Got him to about 80 yards, but he was still through some thick stuff. And I heard two more birds gobbling that were coming, but I wasn't sure what they were. And wound up, they walked right in front of me. It was two jakes, went up there to where he was at, whooped him, and then he run off. And them two jakes just stayed there gobbling all morning. But you're talking about, you know, what do you do in those instances about, you know. The refusal, yeah. The refusal. So I would even consider, like, you know, jakes whooping another bird a refusal. Because he got whooped and run off, so he didn't. He he wasn't able to whoop those other turkeys yeah. and then come on and claim his prize. He wasn't fired up enough about what you had going on, or he was just outgunned. Yeah, by the Jakes. But <laughs> um, but you know, with that, I think you were kind of alluding to it is just persistence. Mm-hmm. So being persistent to figure out what went wrong or what happened, or just staying after it, like that particular instance i stayed in the woods all day that day till about three o'clock and wound up harvesting him that afternoon just because the same bird, that the same bird stayed with same it. Bird. Wow. so i mean anything can happen to change the outcome of what's going on everything's just got to be the right situation okay so so with that because that's a good one but the last question i had to ask matt as we preview into turkey season here is what's your best turkey hunt story it doesn't have to be a successful hunt that's a good one i mean like i would be proud of that one i would have that bird on the wall somewhere and anytime somebody said man what happened there i'd tell them the whole story you know there's just so many so many good stories um probably one of my favorite stories is me and a guy was going hunting one morning and um i had three birds gobbling that morning me and him sat facing away from each other against a tree back to back on a tree and one bird was gobbling the way he was looking and it was two more birds gobbling the way i was looking and we were set up in a drain a hardwood drain on the edge of a big uh cow pasture and got these birds fired up and all of a sudden the two that i was facing just shut down like they just didn't say another word i don't know if they had hens with them or what but you know, me and him were just sitting there, and I was calling, and that other bird, he gobbled a few more times, but then he shut up. I was like, what the heck is going on? And I just kind of got quiet, and then I called a few more times, and then my buddy was behind me. He's like, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And I was like, I turned around and looked and just stuck my head around the tree, and all I could see was a turkey running at full sprint all the way across his field where we was at. That's and he cool. run into like 20 yards. I mean, you could about throw the rock and hit him. <laughs> he run into the edge of the woods, threw into a strut, and gobbled like twice, like double gobbled. And, man, my heart was through my throat. I mean, and my buddy that was, you know, he was like 20 yards in front of me. He should have been able to kill him all day long. But he come in so quick, my buddy didn't have time to get his gun up. He wasn't ready. So, you know, 
and that's a good point always be ready turkey hunting don't ever just leave your gun laying beside you i always keep my gun either in my lap or on my knee ready because you never know when a bird's just gonna come in on you yeah i mean they don't you can't move to pick up the gun they don't they don't always come in gobbling they don't always Mm -hmm. let you know they're they're there but anyway that turkey he wound up walking around circling us and came on my side and i was able to harvest him like 20 yards it's probably one of the most exciting turkey hunts that i've ever had just having a bird come in that quick and gobble that close on you that's cool. it was just crazy man um but there's all i mean there's so many good hunts it's hard to always pick one but um yes that's pretty much you know my turkey turkey hunting stuff um if y'all ever have any questions you know give us a call yeah guys feel free to reach out to the listeners you can shoot us all an email if y'all got some tips and tricks for any of us please let us know because i'm always open to learning and new tricks share you know right into us call into us share drop us a pin yeah yeah (laughs) drop us a pin if y'all ever want to go hunt you know give us a call yeah um so yeah uh that kind of wraps up our turkey season preview discussion i want to mention again before i talk about our upcoming events the spring draw for the sportsman's access program closes at 11:59 p.m on wednesday night so y'all get online get signed up get your lotteries in and get ready to do some hunting with us this spring and if you have questions please call the office i am happy to talk to you i can talk you through it i can you know tell you about our properties the different blocks you know i don't want i don't want anybody to be a you know unsure or you know confused so feel free to give us a call and we'll talk you through it and then, so, for some upcoming events, we've got March 18th. That is this coming Saturday. We're doing our paddle club at Falls Reservoir in Baden. we got information on social media and the website about that. Week following, on March 25th, we're doing our big tree hike down in Moore County. Um, and then, at the beginning, so on April 1st, this is a big one. We're going to have, we just got word that our Jeep for the raffle is finished. That is coming up from Wilmington this week we're going to have that with us at the el dorado outpost on april 1st the day that the ohv trails open in uari national forest so that we can sell raffle tickets we can talk to people about three rivers and the raffle and what we do um also for those who bought raffle tickets last year you will get an exclusive link in your email uh in the next in in the coming weeks we'll say that Uh, with an exclusive link for early access to our raffle tickets. So if you bought a ticket last year, keep an eye on your inbox. You'll get an email from us with a link. You'll get access a week early. Um, And then ending out the month of April, we have our spring through hike of the Uori Trail happening April 27th through April 30th. Again, we got information about that on the website. Go over there, get signed up. We hope to see you guys out there. Um, I will be acting as our camp host on Friday night on the 28th for that so if you come and hike with us you'll get to share a campfire with yours truly on (laughs) april 28th it's a distinguished honor i think before we officially close things down matt needs to prove that he actually knows how to use a a turkey call a demo let's hear some sweet talking some sweet talking so wait which one do you have here so this is my hs strut slate witch i got this thing like i said when i was about 12 years old um, we use a lot of use it a lot in the turkey woods. Finally figured out how to use it, I guess. Um, but you know, some of the things, some of the sounds that you hear might hear a turkey make is a purr. Mm, that sounds bad. See if you can hear that a little better. So that's a purr, and then I like to pair it with a cluck. So and a little cluck and purr, and you. Can, and basically, something that indicates a turkey getting really, really excited is they call it cutting. So a cut, cutting is basically just a really excited series of clucks. So basically, just a cluck. Usually, that means just here I am. Here's where I'm at. You know, and purrs usually mean they're content. Yeah, they're content. They're sitting there feeding. And, you know, don't feel bad if you, like, get some squeaky sounds and all. Because if you've ever heard turkeys in the woods, they'll make all kinds of squawks and all. But And I've heard some hens that would sound like a bad collar in the woods. <laughs> so, but I usually use clucking purrs when they get in close. And then cutting is usually... They're excited. And pair that with a yelp. So, 
using cutting yelps together. So that's usually the main sounds that I use turkey hunting. Um, I know some people do it like doing like a kiki run is another sound a turkey makes. You don't really hear that too often in the woods. Hardly ever use a gobble call just because to me it's kind of unsafe, especially when you're hunting on public land. <laughs> um, but those are all some really good sounds that you, you know. You, if you can just do a simple cluck on any kind of call, you know you can kill a turkey. You can call a turkey in. Because sometimes all I've ever done is just cluck and purr a turkey in. And, I, I mean, I've even helped close turkey, helped close the distance on turkeys before just by scratching in the leaves. So, you know, if a turkey comes in gobbling or you know he's there, you can just take your hand out real seldom-like and scratch, make a scratching in the leaves. Because, you know, if you think about what a hen's doing, mm-hmm. he's just in there scr- she's just going to be in there scratching and feeding. So I've had turkeys actually gobble off the roost when I've been cleaning out where I'm going to sit in the mornings. Because they think it's another bird in there. Because they think it's another bird already on the ground feeding. That's cool. So, I mean, there's just all kind of things you can do. It doesn't matter if you use a pot call, diaphragm call, box call, push box call. You know, there's all kind of different calls. But being able to use a call and use it effectively and well and being able to replicate the sound of a hen is probably the best way to kill a turkey. To call one in anyway. Um, that and then knowing the topography you're hunting, you can really use topography to your advantage as well. How to funnel them into an area. Well, just knowing what the turkeys on that property are doing, man. I mean, if you, I mean, it's just like deer hunting. If you know what the deer are doing and you know where they're going at what time of the day, just like a turkey, if you know where he's roosting at, you know where he's coming down at, you know where he's fit, spit, doing all his strutting in the morning, you know where he's going to feed in the afternoon. And you know where he's going back to roost. If you can just set up to where he's moving, you can go in there and have a shot, you know. So you don't – that's another thing. If you don't think you can call well, don't let that deter you from going turkey hunting. You know, just spend the – you're going to have to put a little more effort into it maybe. But, you know, you can still harvest a turkey just by work, going off of what a turkey does and knowing their routines. So any, right que- any questions about turkey hunting? You know, when are you going to take me? Hopefully and soon, man. What's soon. your guaranteed success rate on hunts? Guarantees like there. Yeah. I don't guarantee a success rate. I guarantee a good time. There we go. <laughs> I like it. All right. Well, with that, we're going to sign off. Uh, thank you all for listening. Thanks for being here. And we will see you next time on Campfire Conversations. If you like the show and would like the episodes to keep coming, you should know that our podcast is just one of the tools that we use at Three Rivers Land Trust to further our conservation mission. Our number one priority and purpose is to conserve land and natural resources for future generations and to be a voice for wildlife and to ensure wildlife populations have habitat forever here in North Carolina. This podcast is just a byproduct to further that mission. You can visit our website at trlt.org to join us in this conservation mission.